Well, good morning. Happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. What a great day to be here, to be in the house of the Lord. I do want to say again, happy Easter to all of you. It is a joy for us to now come together to celebrate the victory that is now found in the empty tomb. Now, again, if you've not been with us um, for any stretch of time, then you probably don't realize we have been walking through the book of Esther together as a faith family. So to give you an idea of where we've been, we started in the very beginning seeing Jews who uh, were given the opportunity to either go home to Jerusalem or to remain in Persia. We find Esther, Mordecai, the heroes of our story, still in Persia, still under the sin and the darkness and the wretchedness of King Ahasuerus. And during this time, we see a king who, in the midst of his sin, takes on a new harem from 127 provinces, and Esther being included in that number. Esther would go from uh, this adopted child to becoming a reluctant servant to then being prepared, not simply by man's hands, but by the providence of God, to ultimately becoming the queen sitting alongside King Ahasuerus. Now we would think at this moment in our story as we've walked together that things would have improved for the Jews and improved for Esther and Mordecai, but they kept secret what it was and who it was that they were a part of. And it was at that time in Esther we learned of another man named Haman who devised a plan against Mordecai and against the Jews simply because he wasn't pleased with the fact that Mordecai was honoring him. And so his plan was to go to the king to get an edict from the king that would rule all 127 provinces in order to see the Jews completely annihilated. It was at that point in our story that Queen Esther decides to put her own life on the line. She reveals to her king who she is. She calls for a feast And then, in one of the greatest moments of boldness and courage that we have in the Old Testament, she stands before the wicked man Haman and accuses him of his crime of mass execution. The king, in his love for Esther, finally, in one moment of hope, sees the plan of Haman calls for the death of Haman, and our story of Haman then ends with Haman being hung from the same gallows with which he had intended to kill Mordecai. We would think at this point in Esther, a story that never mentions God by name, never mentions any single prayer by name, you would think at this moment that would simply be enough for Esther and for Mordecai, but the problem still remained as we've already seen, and that was that the Jews were still under an edict that would lead to their execution. And so this is where we pick up our story today. Now again, many may be wondering at this point, well, what on earth does the story of Esther have to do with that of Jesus Christ? Well, as we have said all along with the title of our series, Esther is a foreshadowing of what's coming with Jesus Christ. So today we are going to look at the parallels between Esther and her story and what it is that we see throughout the Gospels with the good news of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see today how 
just as the Jews needed an unexpected savior that came in the form of Esther, so too would the Jews see that an unexpected savior would then come in the form of Jesus Christ. Now, before we jump into this, I want to say to you quickly, if we can, we need to remember that as a faith family, as believers in the room, as a part of the body that is the church, the victory of the resurrection is not something that should simply be limited to one week or even one Sunday of the year. You see, every time we gather as a body of believers, we gather to celebrate Jesus Christ. We gather to celebrate his victory over his sin and his defeat of death. So you see, the people of the church, the church building itself simply does not exist as a place to just gather people, but rather it is now a victory sign of what it is that Jesus Christ has accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. You see, the church itself, the body of believers, the gathered people of God now represent the visible and tangible beacon that stands as a reminder of what Christ Jesus has done for us and as a reminder of his words when he cried out, it is finished. So every Sunday we gather should be special for us. You see, it shouldn't simply be about one Sunday a year or two Sundays a year. Rather, every time we gather, we gather because of the resurrection. We gather because of the victory that is now found in Jesus Christ. So for today, let's get back into our text here in Esther chapter 8 to see how Esther will now become the unexpected savior that Israel needs. Now again, Haman by this point is now dead, but I want to remind you that his edict against the Jewish people was not. That edict was now still in play. And so what we're going to see is Esther will plead on behalf of her people one more time in order to deliver them from death. Now we need to pay attention to these words today because it was Jesus Christ, as we read in the Gospels, who through the cross and through the resurrection not only pleaded on our behalf, but did so for the glory of God, but it is Christ Jesus who still intercedes for us today. And so that's the beauty of Christ. You see, we were dead to our sin. We didn't know that we needed a savior. And the same can be said of the Jews. You see, they didn't know that they needed Esther. But by God's grace, according to God's providence, they got an unexpected savior. In the same way, when we fast forward to the gospel accounts of Jesus Christ, it was the Jews who expected a champion or a warrior to come in and to save them from their bondage to Rome. But little did they know that their champion would come in the form of a humble man who hung from the cross. And as we know, he was no ordinary man. You see, salvation had come in the form of what could best be described as an unexpected source. So again, as we look at Esther 8 in verses 1 and 2, after the feast, after the death of Haman, Esther is first now given 
the house of Haman. You see, Esther was given, by giving the house of Haman, she was actually given all of his property, all of his slaves, all of his funds, and all of his family. They now all belonged to Esther. But the king wasn't done there. You see, he took it one step further and gave his signet ring, the same ring that he had given to Haman, he now was giving to Mordecai so that Mordecai would now wear the ring. And at the same time this was happening for Mordecai, it was then Esther who would turn to Mordecai and set Mordecai, according to the text, over the house of Haman. Now you got to think for a Jew living during this time, this would have been incredible gifts from a king. I mean, think about that for a moment. These gifts would have been amazing. Imagine for a second if you were living in today's modern times and you were given the types of gifts that the king had bestowed upon Esther and Mordecai. Anybody would have wanted these things. I mean, think about it for a moment. Imagine you were trying to find a house. I've lived that. And all of a sudden, you started looking all over the community and you couldn't find the house you were looking for. You couldn't find exactly what it was you wanted. You couldn't find anything that your family could fit in. So all of a sudden, you started thinking, you know, maybe a house is not what God had in mind. Maybe you should build a yurt on the back of the church property. Maybe that's a better way to go. Or better yet, since we have so many people here who love their campers and RVs, maybe we just have an RV community built behind the church, and maybe that's God's plan for the life of his pastor, for the pastor of this church and his family. But praise God, that wasn't his plan. Although I think it would have been fun for about a week or two. I still think it's a good idea. We may set a date for that to happen just to see what happens. I'm curious now. But imagine for a second you're that person looking for a home and then all of a sudden somebody comes to you and says, hey, listen, I not only have a home for you, I have the perfect home for you. In that home, you're going to have every room you ever needed. Every person will have their own room. In fact, if you have small children, you can lock them in their room and never see them again. Not only am I going to give you a room's and a home, but I'm going to give you a pantry full of food and everything you could ask for. And not only am I going to give you a pantry, I'm going to give you somebody to clean your home. I'm going to give you a pool and somebody to clean your pool. And I'm going to give you a yard and somebody to clean your yard. And then don't worry about your neighbors. If we need to fortify your home from them, then we can do that. All of it is yours. Oh, and by the way, it's all paid for. Oh yeah, and that little thing called taxes, don't worry about that. I'm in charge of that. You don't have to worry about it anymore. This is literally what Esther had been given by King Ahasuerus. It was the same gift that now Esther had given over to Mordecai. Anybody would have wanted it. But notice it wasn't what Esther or Mordecai had asked for. This is now setting the scene that there was clearly something more that Esther wanted, something far more important than a ring, something far more important than servants, something far more important than an estate. And so in our moment today, we're going to see Esther boldly and willingly one more time putting her life on the line as she approaches King Ahasuerus again. We get to verses 3 through 6. We see that Esther has not forgotten the fate of her people. 
You see, as a bold leader, she would not be distracted nor deterred from seeking an end to the mass execution that was coming for the Jews. You see, Esther in this moment was not seeking her own fame or her own glory. Rather, she was seeking to fulfill the plan that was established between her and Mordecai. She was seeking life for her people. So in this particular moment, in verses 1 through 6, I want us to now see Esther's perseverance, and I want us to see it in light of who Christ is. You see, we see her perseverance as she, according to the text, pleaded with him, the him being the king, to avert the evil plan of Haman. You see, Esther would not stop until she accomplished the task that had been assigned to her by Mordecai. You see, when we flip over the the Gospels, we see the same thing of Jesus Christ. You see, Christ did not simply ride into Jerusalem to be celebrated with a bunch of palm branches. Christ did not ride into Jerusalem simply seeking his own satisfaction and his own personal gains. Rather, it was Jesus Christ who had one mission. It was Jesus Christ who had one goal, and it was to deliver his people from the mass execution that was coming for them because of their sin. You see, Jesus did not stop at the celebration of palm branches. Jesus Christ had a mission and he would fulfill it upon the cross. So you see in the Gospels, we see Christ and his perseverance is now on full display. Even as he prayed, Father, not my will, but yours be done. We read these words in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and again in Luke 22. You see, Jesus Christ also had a mission, but his mission was very different from that of Esther. It was Christ who sought to glorify God, and it was Christ who sought to unify his people to himself. We move back to Esther. And again, as we see Esther through the lens of Christ, we move now from Esther's perseverance to now seeing Esther's passion. You see, Esther had a burden for her people that she could now no longer hide. She had already revealed herself as a Jew, and now all of a sudden, on behalf of the Jews, she is now coming before the king to seek their life. So Esther falls before the king. She weeps upon the floor. And in a brief moment, we see the full depth of her emotions, which are now on full display for the king to see. Esther was now fully transparent and groaned for her people. You know, it's at this point we need to take stock of our own lives and and ask ourselves the following question. When was the last time we didn't conceal our feelings before God? When was the last time we passionately and boldly proclaimed who Jesus Christ is? In our own lives, and our own struggles, when was the last time we sat before the Lord and we were fully transparent before our God about what it was that we were struggling with and what it was that we were going through? 
Now, coming back to our text, we see not only Esther's love for her people, but we also see that through Esther's love for her her people, we now see that it is God who demonstrates this same love for us today as we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. You see, Paul says here, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You see, by the grace of God, through the wonderful power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we now have the Spirit who pleads on our behalf. We now have the Spirit of God who now intercedes for us when we have no words. i got to ask you a question for a moment. And this is really a question for the believers in the room. When you first heard about God, did you know that this moment was coming? When you first heard about God, did you not only know what it was that Christ Jesus would do upon your behalf, but did you also see how the Spirit of God would intercede for you when you did not have the words to say? There is power in the work of Christ. And so we have to ask also of ourselves, do we now see what it is that we have been given by the grace and the mercy that is found in our risen Savior? We come back to our text here in Esther 8 and we see that Esther now pleads with the king to stop Haman's plan. She asked of the king, she asked of an order to be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman. You see, Esther at this point is not ashamed of who she is. She is not ashamed to beg and to plead with the king if it would save her people. Now, again, we fast forward to the Gospels. We look to Jesus Christ, and again, we see it is our Savior and our Lord, and his name is Jesus. We see that it was Jesus who was willing to do whatever was asked of him by God the Father in order to save his people, even if it would cost him his life. And we already know how the story goes. Jesus willingly and obediently gave. We come back again to Esther 8 in verses 7 and 8. And here we see King Ahasuerus' response to Esther. You see, we see that he granted Esther whatever it was she asked for. He then allowed Esther, along with Mordecai, to write a new edict of their own and then to sign it with his ring. Now pay attention here because this is vitally important. Notice the king's response. This new edict that he has now granted was simply done because of how he felt about Esther. It had nothing to do with the Jews. It had nothing to do with whether or not he wanted to spare their life. He simply wanted to make his wife happy and in the process make himself look good. You see, when we compare this moment and we compare it to the King of Kings, when we look to God the Father, we can now see that God grants our request because of Christ Jesus and what it was that Christ Jesus has done. 
We now know that it was Jesus Christ who was sent by God because it was God the Father who loved us first. It was God the Father who cared for his people first. We read about this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. And the beauty of it is he did it because he loved us. He didn't do it because of anything we could have done. He didn't do it because of anything he thought we would be or become. He didn't even do it because he thought, wow, one day, one Sunday, all these really great people are going to get really dressed up. They're going to take baths. They're going to come to church clean, and it's going to be good. And so that's why we're going to do it. No, you see, God saw us in our wretched filth. He saw us in our sin-sick state. He saw us dead. And he said, I love them. And they don't even know me yet, but I know them. And I love them. We move from there into Esther 8 again in verses 9 through 14. Now again, I want us to pay attention to what's happening in these verses. It's at this point a new edict has been written. Now many people would ask, okay, well why was it so important to write a new edict? And the the answer to that is because Haman's old edict could not be changed according to the law. You see, this new edict now provided hope for the Jews as it allowed them to defend their lives and to defend their homes. All of a sudden, they were given a new edict where the defense of the Jews was no longer going to be seen as an act of rebellion against the empire. So all of a sudden, the Jews are now given permission to fight back. Now think about that for a moment. Because you see, in the first edict, the Jews were the ones who were told the people around you in any province can take your life. They can take your family's life. They can take your land. They can take everything you own. And there is nothing you can do about it. In fact, if you resist, then it is rebellion against the king. And it will ultimately lead to death. Now I want you to think about that for a moment because how many of us are all of a sudden getting this type of edict today and saying of ourselves, well, okay, that's the new law, so I guess I'm going to stand out in front of my garage and line my children up like ducks and say, here we are, take our lives. I don't think so. I would imagine many of us, upon reading this edict, would be thinking, okay, I know that I'm called to follow the law, but this might be one of those laws that may have to be broken I'm not quite sure I'm just going to turn my house over to some random person I'm not sure I'm going to turn my family over to some person I'm not sure I'm just going to let them say hey knock on the door good news we're not Amazon but we are here to take your life I'm not opening that door And so now all of a sudden, a new edict is written. Now all of a sudden, the Jews are given permission to defend themselves. All of a sudden, as as a person today, if I went from having a law that said my life could be taken and there was nothing I could do to now all of a sudden I'm giving a new law saying if somebody comes for your life, you have every right to defend yourself, all I'm going to tell you is six foot two defensive lineman is saying game on, let's do this. 
And the beautiful part about this edict was this. It wasn't even simply about defending yourself. It was one of those edicts that was written that simply stated, if somebody comes to attack you, you can fight back. But not only can you fight back, you can take their home. You can take their life. You can take their children. Now I'm going to go ahead and tell you, all of a sudden, the playing field has now been leveled. This became a fair fight. Now again, I'm not promoting fighting. In fact, I'm a, I'd, I'd rather see peace happen. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if given the opportunity to run and given the opportunity to fight and defend my home, I'm choosing fighting and defending my home for a variety of reasons. But the biggest reason being this, there's only so many miles this big boy's running. Okay? At some point, I'm going to turn around and figure out how this thing's going to go. Now, all of a sudden, all of a sudden the Jews had that opportunity. They had permission to defend themselves. They had permission to fight back. But then notice what happens in our text here. We are then told that this edict was taken by couriers who mounted their swift horses that were used in the king's service. Now, I don't know about you, but for the life of me, Why is it so important that by the time we get to Esther 8, horses are now more important than mentioning the name of God? Horses are now more important than mentioning God's providence. You would think by this point you would hear the people prayed. Or you think at this point you would hear that the people praised God. Or you think at this point you would hear the name of God mentioned in some way, shape, or form. But no, we don't get God, we get horses. But here's the purpose of the mentioning of the horses. You see, it gives us an idea of how fast this news was about to spread. You see, these were the best of the best racehorses for the, for the king. This would have been equivalent to same-day delivery that comes from Amazon. I mean, come on, who doesn't love that? I mean, seriously, I know there's a lot of issues we can talk about with Amazon right now, but if given the opportunity of getting out of our pajamas, getting dressed, and going to Walmart, which I understand is optional, or just ordering a product off Amazon, when you get to that point and you click on it and it gives you that green next day delivery thing, you're like, yes and amen, I'll take it. What's one day? Literally, that's what we have happening at this moment. News needed to spread quickly to 127 provinces, and that's exactly what it did. Now, don't miss the parallel between this moment of what's happening in Esther 8 and what we see with Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, when he rose from the grave, when it was revealed that the tomb was now empty, all of a sudden did Jesus not only reveal himself to people, but now the good news of Jesus Christ was on its way for the people of God wherever they were. You see, that's the beauty of the gospel. It doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter what we're going through. It doesn't matter what law comes down that says, stop your teaching of the word, stop your preaching of the word. We have seen this throughout history. Here is the good news. Nothing and no one will ever stop the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And the good news of the gospel is that this is good news for God's people. We move again back into Esther 8, and we finish in verses 15 through 17. There's a couple things I want you to notice from this passage. First, I want you to notice the transition that happens in Mordecai. Now again, pay attention to what good news can do. Mordecai went from weeping before the gate, from sackcloth and ashes, weeping on behalf of his people, to now all of a sudden we get to Esther 8, verses 15 through 17, and we see that it's Mordecai who's now being clothed with royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. You see, Mordecai went from revealing himself, Mordecai went from a death sentence to now all of a sudden becoming a part of the royal family. And the beauty of it today for us is this, is that that same story holds true of us today in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, we were the ones who deserved death for our sin, but now because of Jesus Christ, we are now sons and daughters of the Most High God, which means now we are heirs to the kingdom according to Romans chapter 8, verse 17. But let's pay attention just for a moment what the Word of God teaches us about what it is that we now have because of Christ Jesus and our new life in Him. You see, in James chapter 1, verse 12, we read, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Paul, in speaking to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Again, Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4 says this, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Jesus, in his own words, in Luke chapter 6, verse 23, in speaking about persecution, says these words to the apostles and to us today. He says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. You see, because of Jesus Christ, because our life has now been changed, we aren't just given any robes. Rather, we are now crowned and robed in righteousness because of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have a great reward that is awaiting us. And all of this was done not because of who we are, not because of what it is that we have done, but rather it was all done because of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us and what through his spirit he is still doing within us. We were given a gift we didn't deserve. And so like Mordecai, we have now been given a makeover that we could have never imagined, and yet it was God who had it completely planned from the beginning. Again, do we even begin to see God's providence over our lives? Secondly, I want you to see from this text 
that upon hearing this news, the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. You see, their fear of death had now been replaced by feasting and celebration, so much so that even amongst the Persian Empire, that declaring yourself a Jew in Persia became all of the rage, according to the text, for fear of the Jews had fallen upon them. Now the people, though they're not mentioned directly, were now in fear of what was going to happen because they knew something was different. They knew that something had changed. And now here's the beauty of it for us today as we read Esther 8 and we look to the Gospels and we see the good news of Jesus Christ. We now know today that it was God who was working in the midst of darkness to bring about his light and to bring about his glory. And so if it's God who can work through darkness in Esther, it's the same God who in the midst of darkness gave us Jesus Christ to be the light of life. If it was God who still had a providential plan for his church as it spread from the nations and among the nations throughout the book of Acts, if it was God who providentially put together the plan for each of the letters that we have in the New Testament, and it was God who gave us the vision of what would happen at Revelation, then surely we can trust and hope it is God who is still working in our lives today. We have so much to be thankful for. We're at a point now where we have to ask ourselves, as we look back over Esther 8, what can we learn from this chapter today? The first thing I want us to see is that we have now been reconciled to God through Christ. You see, it was Christ who pleaded on our behalf. It was Christ who persevered all the way to the cross. And so because of Christ's work, we can now come together today on this Resurrection Sunday and celebrate what Jesus Christ has done. But yet at the same time, we now need to realize that we have been called to advance this good news. And we're called to advance it so that others may hear it. And so that it is God who is glorified. And so on this Resurrection Sunday, I want to ask you a simple question. As a believer in Christ in the room, do you have a legitimate concern for non-Christians who live amongst you? Or are we too busy bad-mouthing non-Christians on social media? You see, even the people we disagree with need Jesus. And I believe that's something we can all agree upon because we too need Jesus. The second thing I want us to see and learn from Esther 8 is this, is that we too and we need to have the passion and perseverance of Esther. The same passion and perseverance that we see in Paul when he writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with Tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ and their end is destruction. 
You see, we live in a world that is now casting itself further and further into its own wretchedness and into its own darkness, just like King Ahasuerus did. We live in a world that is constantly blinded by its own self-gratification and self-promotion that it doesn't realize that it's going to lead to its own destruction in the same way it led to Haman. And so as believers in Christ, I need to ask you this morning is when was the last time we prayed and wept for people who needed to be delivered from the darkness that is their own sin you see our attitude as Christians today should never be well I'm saved I believe that Jesus is Lord and so spreading the gospel is someone else's problem it's not mine Christians I want to tell you on this resurrection Sunday I want you to realize that this salvation is not for you alone Others need this news. And we are the ones who are called upon to spread the gospel message with urgency the same way these couriers with their horses spread good news for the Jews. So when we leave today, my prayer is that we're not simply talking about another Easter Sunday and another Resurrection Sunday. And my prayer is that we don't leave this place talking about what we liked and what we, what we didn't like and, and what we thought about the way certain people were dressed and how the service went and how it didn't go. That my prayer is that we would not even focus on those things, but rather we would leave this place in prayer, preparing with urgency for who it is that we need to be intentionally sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with. Thirdly, I hope that we learn from this passage that we need to be a people who continue to pray and continue to plead with God for more workers on the field as we see in Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. You see, I pray that God will call up more believers who will be faithful in going and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. This is something that needs to happen not only internationally, but nationally and also locally for us as well. You see, the church itself is a beacon of hope. It is not a cruise ship with multiple programs and multiple outings for us to simply select from and that caters to our own personal needs and whims. Rather, we need to realize that we are in the midst of spiritual warfare. We are in the midst of a rescue mission. And only Jesus can save. But for the church, we are to rather be a battleship that is strategically placed to fight against the evils and the darkness of this world. And so we have to ask ourselves today, how are we serving locally? How are we sharing the good news nationally? How are we getting the gospel out internationally? How are we preparing people for service in this place? Now I want to go ahead and tell you I have some good news on that front. In the next couple weeks, you're going to be receiving some information about how you and your gospel community can get involved in helping us share the gospel through our local community. Now, I can't go into all the details right now, but I'm excited to know that we are fixing to enter into a partnership with a local school where we're going to get the opportunity to not only encourage uh, teachers and office staff, but we're going to hopefully, by God's grace, get the opportunity to be able to share the good news and be the hands and feet of Jesus going out and sharing the gospel. Again, more information to come on that. That is one of many things that are fixing to come down the pipe for us here at Southside in terms of our purpose and our mission 
mission to our local community. Fourthly, we learned that we learned that what Esther clearly couldn't see that we now know. We learned that we fight from a position of victory. You see, when you go back and reread Esther, and I would encourage you, if this is your first time with us walking through Esther, go back and read the first seven chapters so you can see how we arrived at this point in Esther 8. You see, in Esther, Esther and Mordecai had no idea what would happen. They had no idea how this thing was going to end. And yet it was now the Jews who because of Esther's boldness were celebrating because they were now allowed to defend themselves. You see, here's the difference between us and the people of Esther's day. We have the word of God. And so we know how this story ends. We know what has happened. We know why we are here today. We know what will happen. And so we need to realize as believers today, we do not fight from a position of hopelessness. We do not fight from a defeated position. Rather, we fight from a position with Christ Jesus on our side, knowing that our end as believers in Christ is eternity with him. You see, here's the good news. We will never be asked to do anything apart from God. We will never be asked to do anything apart from God's providential plan. It is God who is always with us. And so unlike the Jews in Esther, we don't fight because Jesus Christ has already fought for us. And as we know on this Resurrection Sunday, it was Christ Jesus who won. So we are simply called upon now to press on and press into what it is that Christ has called us to and what it is that Christ has promised us. Finally, I want us to learn this. Everything that happens, happens because it is God who makes it happen. Look again at Proverbs chapter 16, verse 4, and we read the words, The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. You see, the reality is, as we read in Esther 8, as we just read in Proverbs 16, as we have seen in the Gospels, no matter who is in charge, no matter what is happening, God is the one who brings up a person and he is the same God who will bring down a person. So as believers in Christ, those who have placed our faith, our trust, our hope in Christ, we are now with we are now never without hope. So whether in days of celebration or like Esther experienced, whether in days of darkness, God can and God will work. And God alone will be victorious. And praise be to God that he is still working today.
You see, on this Resurrection Sunday, I don't want us to ever forget what it is that Christ Jesus has done. I don't want us to ever forget that every Sunday now when we gather, we are able to come forward and to praise God for the victory that we now have in him. So when you go back and look at Esther 8, Esther could barely gain access to the king, but she boldly did it, knowing it would probably cost her her life. But yet when we fast forward today, we can now see that through Christ Jesus, our access to God the Father is never in doubt. You see, because of Christ, we now have hope in times of trial. We now know that even in the midst of our darkest days, we still belong to Jesus Christ. Because of Christ, we can now praise God for his grace. We can praise God for his mercy. We can praise God for his power and how he continues to work for his glory and for our good. Because of Christ and the fact that Christ lives today, we can praise Jesus for being the great intercessor on our behalf. And little, little did the Jews know what God would do through Esther. Little did they know what would happen when God would come in the form of Jesus Christ our Lord. And little would they realize what had been done according to God's providential plan. You see, we are now living in that victory. Praise God for what he has done. I want to leave you with this quote from G.C. Burkauer. He says it best when speaking again of of God and his providence. He says, it is the living God of history who bends and breaks his challengers, who makes an end to wars and directs the wars of the Lord, and who as the Holy One is active in all the world, spanning the length and breadth of it. In no phase of the world's history is the rule of God in danger. You see, we have a hope. We have a joy, we have a crown, we have eternity. And all of those things now rest in the work and the hands of an unexpected Savior. We see his work in Esther, and today we celebrate his work through the resurrection of Jesus Christ our unexpected Savior. Let's pray together.